Well, it's good to see you guys. Um, it's been like five years since I've used this thing. So I feel like a rock star today. You know, it's great. Um, so the title of my sermon, actually probably stand out of your way, is uh, Joy, Let It Move You. Um, the reason I chose to talk about joy today is I was actually recently talking with somebody and they were like, I love it when people preach about something they're good at. You know, like I love when somebody who has great convictions preaches about conviction or somebody who's good at serving preaches about service and all that kind of stuff. Well, those are not my talents, but I can be pretty happy. So that's my talent. So that's what I'm going to talk to you guys about today. And unfortunately, I can't preach about Lord of the Rings. So I'm going to preach about this. Um, so what I wanted to talk to you first about is I want to talk to you about why we should have joy. And so I wanted to look at this passage in Galatians. It's talking about the fruits of the spirit. And it says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kinds of fruit in our lives, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. It's a pretty awesome list of things that it produces there. You know, I love these things. I've heard many sermons on love and what that needs to be. And I've heard many, many sermons about joy. I mean, peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness. I haven't heard too many on joy. I've heard a few. And in fact, I've been sat down and talked about these things, about being more loving. I've been talked to about being more patient with people, having more peace with people, being kinder, being good, being faithful. I've never had somebody sit me down and said, hey, you need to be more joyful. I can't think of many people who have been sat down and said, hey, you need to work on your joy. Like, that's not really a conversation we have in or outside of the church. And it's something that we integrally miss. You know, I've spent a lot of time teaching the teen ministry and the campus ministry and being in both of those and being in high school, being in college. I don't know what it's like to adult, so don't ask me about that. Um, but one of the most tragic things I have seen in all these ministries is the amount of sadness, right? And sadness in such young people, right? The number one leading cause of death of teenagers is suicide. After that is drugs and alcohol, which are usually because of sadness. You think about that, like how in just a couple years of life do you get that sad? And it breaks my heart. I've had talks with people about these kinds of things. I've sat down and listened to them. I've been there myself. We miss out on something so amazing as joy. We forget to be joyful. We forget that as disciples, it should be one of the things that we're producing is joy. Joy is something we should be giving out to the world and experiencing ourselves. It is one of the fruits of the Spirit. We sat down and we talked. I know we've probably all been corrected at least one time on one of those topics. But I can't think of any time somebody's corrected me and said, hey, dude, I think you just need to be happier. I think you need to be more joyful. I'm kind of bummed that no one's ever done that to me. I wish that they would. Because I think it is something that is actually necessary. And I want to show you something, too. I want to show you this scripture here in First Thessalonians, it says, always be joyful, never stop praying, be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. I love that it starts with always be joyful, be thankful in all circumstances, right? The people who are writing these passages don't have a lot to be joyful about at these times. And the point in the life of these people were being persecuted, being attacked, being dragged down for the faith. And they're talking about being thankful in all circumstances. That's a pretty bold claim. And yet they make it. But I love the way this verse ends. It says, for this is God's will for you. 
that's really cool. That it is God's will for us to be joyful. You know, sometimes we get caught up in all the things that God wants us not to do. We get caught up in all the things that God has us to do. There's all this stuff, and we get into this kind of work mentality, or sometimes we feel it's restrictive, all this stuff, but we kind of forget that God's first thing for us, his will for us, is to be joyful. I feel like it's kind of like a relationship with a parent. You know, you, you get used to hearing all the things you've done wrong. You get used to hearing all the things you need to be doing. You kind of forget that your parent genuinely just wants you to be happy. I can forget that sometimes in my own family. I get so used to hearing all these stuff, and then I forget, oh, yeah, you guys do care about me. You do genuinely want happiness. But I get caught up in all these things. So I want to remind you that the whole point of this Christian thing is to be happy about it, right? Christianity shouldn't be something complex and soul-sucking. It should be something encouraging and joyful and happy and be like, I'm glad, glad to be here. I don't know about you, but I'm happy to be here every Sunday morning. And so I'm thankful for these circumstances. I'm thankful to be here. But what's even really cool about it, too, is because we can get kind of bogged down by what God commands of us. But let's see what he says about that. In John chapter 15, this is Jesus talking. It says, I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. So I like this passage a lot because we hear something about commands, right? I command you to love one another. I have these commands for you. And I don't know about you. When I hear a command, I think, oh, gosh. It's another task, another to-do list. I'm like, okay, let's add it on. All right, what am I supposed to be doing? What did I mess up? But I, he says our joy should overflow at this. So at first glance, I'm kind of contradictory. It's like, I'm getting a command, but I'm supposed to be happy about it. I'm kind of like, ah, those don't go head to head to me. I like freedom. Um, but as I read through this passage, it reminds me a lot of what Mike Dorner once said in this sermon, or to me personally. At this point, I don't know. But I know he said it. Was he said that sin is what destroys relationships, right? When we're talking about commands, right, most of the commands are to avoid sin. These sin damages relationship. And if you sit down and you list out every sin, I'm sure you can come up with ways and how it destroys relationships at all different kinds of levels. So when Jesus is talking about, hey, following my commands, this should be joyful. And in fact, if you're really doing it, the joy should overflow, right? Loving people as I love them should be easy, right? When you're talking about that, because when you really avoid those sins, your relationship with God and your relationship with people should really flourish. Right? It's when you let the bitternesses get there, when you let the angers, when you start keeping records wrong, that's when you start feeling unjoyful about these commands. But another thing that I feel can sap our joy is trials. I don't know about you, but I've been through some tough times in my life. And what's funny is every time I'm in a tough time, I always think about it. I'm like, this is not the hardest thing I'm going to have to go through in life. And I'm always like, hmm, I don't know if that encourages me or discourages me, but... It's something funny that comes to mind. And I know that every single one of you sitting here in this seat has had a rough experience to different extents. I've had an alcoholic mom. She's in prison. That's one of my bad experiences. Some of you might have something very similar, something very different, right? I know you have all been through something. I don't know what your something is, but I know you've had it. But I want to show you this verse about what it says about that. It says in 1 Peter, so be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead, 
even though you must endure many trials for a little while, these trials will show you that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor in the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. You love him even though you have never seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him and you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. The reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. Um, so I really love this passage, and I'm trying to keep a level head. Um, but I think what I love about this part is what he says about your faith being tested as fire is purifying gold. I don't know if any of you know what the purification process of gold is, but don't worry, I got you. The way it works is you use something called a smelter, and you melt gold down, and it becomes a liquid. And what happens is when you get gold to this point, the impurities rise to the surface. And then you can take what they call a sifter and run it and pick up all the impurities, discard them, and then let the gold re-solidify. And now it is more purified and thus more beautiful and more, I guess, valuable at that point. And so it's the same way with us. When you go through a trial, you melt down. You start to cry. You start to lose function. You make mistakes. All your impurities come to the surface, Right? If you've ever been through a divorce, you can see that firsthand. All the angers, all the hurts, all the things like that, they come to the surface. If you've ever been in a heated argument, all your sin comes to the surface. Every last thing comes to the surface. When you suddenly go through a breakup with some, someone, all the hurts you feel come to the surface. You realize it's all your faults and all your things. And the true test of a trial is when that trial comes, do you sift the is the purification of gold only really makes a difference. The fire is not what purifies gold. It's whether or not you sift out the impurities in that period. These are going to come to the surface. So that is what it means to go through a trial and become purified through it. But he sandwiches this trial, right? He be truly glad. There is a wonderful joy ahead of you. It's funny, I was sitting down and talking with a brother who was going through a really rough time. And I'm like, hey, you don't believe me right now, but you're going to look back on this time and be happy about it. And he's like, I do, but I hate you. And I'm like, that's fair. And I said the same words that were said to me when I was going through a tough time. They're like, hey, you don't believe me right now. But you're going to look back on this and joyful. And I do. I look back at my worst, worst times. And I'm actually genuinely happy about it. Because it gave me an opportunity to be the man who I am today. It gave me an opportunity to sift through a lot of my impurities and mature a lot in those ways that I didn't have a chance otherwise. But I want to draw your attention to the very end where it says you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. I want you to take half a second here and think about when is the last time you felt a glorious, inexpressible joy? Think about what those words mean. Glorious, inexpressible joy that is magnificent a glorious inexpressible joy like i can't even imagine what that sounds like you can't describe a glorious inexpressible joy it's just something you know and i love the reason he gives it says for the reward of trusting him will be the salvation of your soul right if you've got nothing else in the world to be happy about there's that to be happy about you know a saying that I love to think about is it's really hard to see the stars when you're looking at the ground. 
when you get bogged down by the things of life, it's easy to forget about heaven. When you're looking down, when you're looking just in front of you to the next task, next task, next task, you forget what's waiting for you above. It's easy to lose sight of that glorious, inexpressible joy because you're concerned about a grade, or you're concerned you're concerned about losing a friendship you forget the glorious inexpressible joy that we have if you've got nothing else you've got that and that is far more than enough that's all you need that's what he's talking about here the wonderful joy ahead of you is that that is something to be so incredibly joyful about but i want to show you this next passage in uh, Hebrews 12, I love this passage. It says, therefore, we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith. Let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so angrily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor Beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. After all, you have not yet given your lives in the struggle against sin. And have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children? He said, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. You know, I love this passage is a good call out. I think in a lot of times in the woe is me phase, we need somebody who kind of calls us out. In every woe is me phase, there's a little bit of responsibility. There's a little bit of time where you got to admit your own fault. I love this passage because it talks a lot about what Christ did, what he endured. And I love how he says, hey guys, you can't really complain because none of you have quite yet given your lives yet for it. And so until you've done that, you still have something to be happy about. Right, Every single one of us who walked through this door has not yet given their life up in the battle against sin. Not yet have you matched the level of Christ. Not yet have you endured what he endured. So kind of take a little moment and kind of realize that. Right, Whatever you've been through, it hasn't been that bad yet. And I love that he says, set his eyes on him. A lot of times we kind of disregard Christ's example because it's too impossible. We kind of throw it out of the book. It's like, yeah, that's Jesus. This is us. But that example is supposed to be there so we can see what it truly means to walk like that. To look to him, not become weary, because like, hey, you know, if he can take that burden, I can go a little bit further. I don't know if about any of you, but have you guys ever been in a line for a roller coaster and you're about to chicken out and then you see a little kid in it and you're like, dang it. If I chicken out, I look real stupid now. It's the same way here, right? We have not yet matched that. We're in the little kitty ride right now. Jesus is over there on the X2, X4 to the eighth power. Like, and we're just here like, I don't know if I can do the teacup. So Jesus is like, yeah, I really feel for you, buddy. Um, yeah, talking to your parents, that's hard, bro. I can't imagine what that must have been like. That confrontation, I don't know. <laughs> so we kind of belittle a little bit what Christ did because we're like, that's impossible. This is my stuff. But we're kind of chicken out at the teacup ride. Guys, if he can endure that, then we can surely endure whatever we're going through right now. And I love what it talks about. Because he endured that, he's seated behind, besides God's throne in honor. Right? Think about what reward waits for you if you're able to endure for just a little bit more. But 
I know these passages are kind of long, so I'll give you something simple and easy to remember. The keep it simple, stupid. This will be the one you can take with you. Is those who plant in tears will harvest with shouts of joy. This is simple, easy to remember. Those who really put in the work and the hurt get to reap the reward of joy. The key word in that is plant, right? If you're just sitting in the corner looking out a window and crying to a sad song, that's not getting you anywhere. You're just dwelling in sadness at that point. It's when you put in the work and the trial and you really plant and sow that you reap the reward. That is what leads to the shouts of joy later, is you can really feel proud of what you've accomplished. You can really see how you've moved forward. But enough of the trials, let's get back to joy. So I love this passage as well. It says, always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Remember, the Lord is coming soon. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, and admirable. Think about these things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. The God of peace will be with you. I love the way this starts. It says, always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. You know what the funny part of that is? Is this is written down. There's no need to remind somebody what you just wrote. He's not literally saying this again. You're writing, be happy. I would say it again, be happy. I love that. It's so important that he says it once and then he says it again with a capital or with an exclamation point. How emphasis he puts on that. I say rejoice. I say again, be thankful, have joy, live a life of happiness. I love that. Fix your thoughts on what is good, honorable, right, pure, lovely, admirable. There are so many things to appreciate in this world. You know, it's really funny. One of the things I love about my dad who's here today is my dad always had this thing. He's like, how can you be sad when you can play these couple of songs and not be reminded of the joy? For my dad, and one of the ones he loves is It's an Extraordinary Life by Asia. I love that song. No matter how bad a day I'm having, if I put on that song, I'm smiling. I look out my car window. I don't care if I'm looking at rocks or I'm looking at the beach. I can't be sad when I hear that song. I love another one, Peace of Mind by Boston. I can't help but smile along and sing along. It's not very good, but I can do it. There are things like that where I, I see that. I'm like, you know what? Whatever I'm feeling, it's not worth it. Let me fix my thoughts on what is joy. What is happiness? You know, a while ago, Gio had us read a book called The Circle Maker. We we're supposed to do it at a whole church. So those of you who read it, good job. But those of you who didn't, it's okay. Um, but there was a really cool passage in there. It was all about prayer. And one of the people in the books was a biologist. And she read something about being thankful to the, to the Lord about the miracles he's doing in your life. And so she made the conviction from when she left work to when she got home. She was going to try to thank God for every miracle he was doing at that moment. And so she was a biologist, so she knew everything in the body. So she was thanking her for the cell structure, thanking God for her bone structure, thanking her for the muscle, all these things. 
not a biologist. I don't know that kind of stuff. But when we went through that chapter, I tried it myself. I'm an engineer, so I know a little bit about how physics works. I know a little bit about how math works. I, so I spent my time going from class to class trying to thank God for all the physics miracles that he was doing at that very moment. And so one of the coolest ones I love in physics is the way you can stand on this ground is because there's a force of gravity pulling you down. And there's a repulsive force between the electrons and the atoms on your foot and the atoms in the ground that create a repulsive force that is equal and opposite to gravity to make you perfectly stand still. So you're not falling through and you're not getting pushed off. It's a perfect balance. No matter how much you weigh, no matter what you're made of, it always balances out. What a cool creation. What a cool miracle. When's the last time you thank God for that electron balance? I love that about God. I love that about God that Earth's atmosphere is the exact level it needs to be for the air to be breathable. It's a crazy miracle of life. I thank God that the Earth's axis is at a perfect tilt so that we have seasons, right? Have you ever thanked him for the snow? Have you thanked him for the sun? You go through seasons because the Earth's an axis, which makes us revolve further from the sun and come back closer to the sun, which changes our seasons. It's an awesome miracle. I thank God for the fact that the earth is spinning. Have you ever thanked God like, you know what, God? I didn't know if the sun was going to rise today, but you did it again. Awesome job. Right? There's so many things we take for granted in this very moment that you're sitting here. And you know what's funny? Is I could never get to the end of those miracles. I would just get to my next class. And it was hard to be disappointed on a day like that. Right? It was really funny. I was in my class, and one of the ones that I thought was so stupid that I never realized but was easy is they were talking about wheels on a cart. And they're like, oh, yeah, when you have wheels, you have no friction. That's the whole point of wheels. They're supposed to make it easier to move. Now, I'm riding my skateboard. I'm like, yeah, duh. That made it easier to move. I get to my classes faster. So I thank God for things like that, that it works, that we can build wheels that rotate perfectly to move us forward with less friction so we can have fun. How many fun things can you do on a pair of wheels? I love that about God. There's so many miracles to be joyful about. So when he says... Fix your eyes on these admirable things. Try it out. Having a bad day, instead of putting on the sad song and crying to the rain, maybe put on a happy song. See if you can find your song, no matter how bad you feel. You can't help but smile. Right? See if you can find all the miracles you can point out because of the things you've learned in life. See if you can just thank God for all the things he's done in your life. It is quite amazing what you can find. But I want to leave you with one last scripture. And what I want to talk about is learning to let go. Thank you that I, hear, I want to take a little praise for myself here. I'm going to let you all be thankful that I get to read this and not you. Because I'm going to stutter a few times and you're just going to get to appreciate it. So, and it's smaller print on my phone. So good luck to me. But this is Jesus talking to his disciples. And this is shortly before his crucifixion. Jesus realized that they wanted to ask him about it. So he said, are you asking yourselves what I meant? I said, in a little while, you won't see me, but a little while after, you will see me again. I tell you the truth. You will weep and mourn over what is going to happen to me, but the world will rejoice. You will grieve, but your grief will suddenly turn to wonderful joy. It will be like a woman suffering in pains of labor. When her child is born, her anguish gives way to joy because she has brought a new baby into the world. So you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. Then you will rejoice, and no one can rob you of that joy. At that time, you won't need to ask me for anything. I tell you the truth. You will ask the Father directly, and he will grant you a request because you use my name. You haven't done this before. Ask using my name, and you will receive, and you will have abundant joy. I've spoken of these matters in figures of speech, 
But soon I will stop speaking figuratively, and I will tell you plainly all about the Father. Then you will ask in my name. I'm not saying I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you dearly because you love me and believe I came from God. Yes, I come from the Father into the world. And now I leave the world and return to the Father. Then his disciples said, at last you are speaking plainly and not figuratively. Now we understand you and know everything, and there's no need to question you. From this, we believe that you came from God. Jesus asked, do you finally believe? But the time is coming. Indeed, it is now here when you are, will be scattered, each one of you going his own way, leaving me alone. Yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. I have told you all this so you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. And so there's a lot of awesome different avenues you can go down here. But what I love about this is Jesus didn't spend his whole life with his disciples. They got him for three years. They had three awesome years with Jesus, and then he leaves. Right? One of the quickest things I think of, one of the biggest sources of joy killing that I can think of is loss of relationship. Whether it be a loss of a significant other, whether it be a death, whether it be a friendship ending, whether it be a parent leaving, whatever it might be, those are the deep bitternesses. When we did grief recovery, I think everyone did something about one of those relationships ending. It tends to be our number one source of sadness. And, you know, there's a lot of hurt there. You know, for a long time, I felt very bitter about different relationships because of how they ended. One of my younger Logan bitternesses was I, I've always been two years younger than my friend group because I was friends with all my brother's friends. So they've always been a chapter ahead of me, right? They, they dated when I was single, and then I got to dating, now they're married. And when I'm going to get to married, they'll have kids, right? I'm always a little chapter behind. So this always kind of put me a little outside on that set. And for the longest time, I used to be really bitter about that. I used to be bitter about the times they would go on doubles, I'd be alone. I'll tell you, my, the worst bitterness I think I felt was I made a plan with my brother and Snow to go to Universal, and then they turned it into a double date and went without me. I'm like, how did I get written out of my own plan? <laughs> but so I spent that time, I was in the gym, I'm all sad and mad at the same time. Uh, I've since gone past that, but I remember that time. I remember being so bitter about that time. And you know, one of the things I talk to a lot of people about in ministry is a lot of bitterness and hurts of relationships and loss of relationships, no matter how they go down. But what I love about Jesus, he gave the example of, hey, I'm here to impact you for a little while, and then I'm going to leave so that you can impact others. I don't think relationships are necessarily meant to be a lifelong thing. And I think that bothers us a little bit. But if you think about the natural way things progress, right? When you're a kid, you have friends. When you become an adult, you have to focus on family. So those friendships naturally drift away. And then when you're family, you have kids, and those kids become important. The kids eventually got to grow up and be their own person. And so those relationships eventually distance and change. So the natural cycle of life is relationships come in and out. Sometimes they weave in, sometimes they weave out, and sometimes they come back. But sometimes we have to learn to let go. Sometimes you have to allow for a distance in a relationship to say, you know what, it's just their time to move on to other things. And sometimes that loss of relationships allows another one to enter. Sometimes allowing for that distance, whether it be through death, whether it be through just moving, whether it be through a new chapter of life, perfectly okay. Sometimes it's okay to just say, you know what, I appreciate 
the times we had, and I'm going to always love you, and I wish you the best, but now our chapters are going different ways. And it's okay to let go of that. It's okay to just appreciate that person for who they are and accept the new people who come into your life. You know, when my, my friend group ebbed a little bit when they dating, I met some new people. I got to know Ryan really well, and then we became really close friends. And my friend group ebbed back in, you know? And so it kind of ebbs and flows. And I learned to love that about it. I loved the different chapters. For a while, the Burns family was really close to me, and then they ebbed kind of back out. Who knows? They may ebb back in one day. I don't have bitterness towards those people because I understand it's like, hey, that was the chapter of life, and I appreciated that chapter I had with you. And I hope this next chapter for you is awesome. Because you can't have a relationship with every person you meet. It's natural. And so we can't hang on to that bitterness of loss of that relationship. We should just appreciate that joy. Just like I'm sure the disciples appreciated that time they had with Jesus. Every time they probably gone through a rough time, like, man, I miss when Jesus was here. But I'm sure that they also appreciated it's like, hey, you know what? Now that Jesus isn't here, our time to kind of help others, our turn to give that back. It's the same way. It's our chance to learn to let go. So trust the process. Whether you're a parent and it's your kids growing up, allow them some distance. Allow them to become who they are. If you're a friend of somebody, if you lost the friendship, allow the friendship to change. Allow it to be unique. If somebody new is coming into your life, learn to accept it a little bit. Learn to just flow with the motion of the ocean. It ends up being a little easier than resisting the current. The first thing they tell you when you're going through white, rock, white water river rafting is if you fall out of the boat, let the current take you. Because you exhaust yourself swimming against it and you drown. Same way with life. If life is moving you a direction, let it take you somewhere for a second. Trust that God has a plan for it. That there is a joy in it. That it might end you up where you wanted to be in the first place as opposed to resisting the current and tiring yourself out and exhausting that relationship. But I have a small confession. I lied to you a little bit in the beginning because I am going to preach about Lord of the Rings. <laughs> so I'm going to leave you with this little piece of wisdom. It actually comes out of The Hobbit, and it's one of my favorite quotes. It's Gandalf talking, and Galadriel asked him, why the Hobbit? Why bring a Hobbit along on this crazy journey? And this is what he says back. He says, Saruman believes it is only great power that can hold evil in check. But that is not what I have found. It is the small, everyday deeds of ordinary folk that keep the darkness at bay. Small acts of kindness and love. You know, it's funny. I watched a YouTube video where people would put up quotes from the Bible or from the Lord of the Rings, and they have to guess which one it was. And this one came up, except it obviously didn't have Saruman in there. But the point being, I don't believe it is crazy big events in your life that are the amazing, joyful moments. I think it's the small, little things that keep the sadness at bay. I think the small appreciations of kindness and love. You know, this last Tuesday, I had my personal experiences. I got to the movies, and I was like, all right, I'm going to do something really kind. You know, I'm going to pay for Liv's ticket. We get to the movie theater. My card doesn't work there. And I'm like, Liv? Uh, and she paid for my ticket. I'm like, that's awesome. I feel so encouraged. I was about to be screwed. Uh, and then we get in. I'm like, man, I'm really hungry. I'm like, Ryan, you want to buy some food? 
And Ryan did. And so I was like, sweet. I just got into a movie, got food. I am feeling great right now. And so the small little acts of kindness really moved my heart. It was $6 for my ticket. And I don't know how much it was for the popcorn, but I can't imagine it was the end of the world. But it meant the difference to me. And so I appreciated those little small acts of kindness. I think there's like one of the things I never appreciate more is when I come back to the sink and somebody did my dishes, I'm like, oh, thank God. Right? The small little kindnesses keep the darkness at bay. And it's the same way with joy. You know, we tend to get sadness and we go on this little snowball effect. When we feel sad about something, it's every bitterness comes up. When somebody does something wrong, it's like, I remember that time you left me here. I remember you didn't do this. I remember when you didn't call me back. We tend to throw out the goodness. But if you think about every last little bit of joy that person has brought to your life, it's really hard to stay bitter at something. When you truly appreciate what God has done in your life, the small little acts of kindness, really beautiful. I don't know if you guys have ever done this. One of the things I really like to do when I'm at school, is sometimes I can get a little stressed out at school. Uh, I don't know if you've ever gone to a tree and looked at a leaf and just appreciated all the intricacies of a singular leaf and then looked at the tree and looked at the intricacy of that tree. And then take a little bit further step back and look at the intricacy of the view. And you see how much detail God puts into every last little thing. You really kind of tend to appreciate the little thing. I appreciate the beauty in that. I like to draw a lot. I got it from my dad. One of the things that's most painful to try to draw is a tree. Because every last little leaf, a lot of times artists, you'll see they'll do this like swishy green thing. And you're like, oh, that's a tree. Uh, because there's so much intricacy to just one object. And I appreciate the time and detail God took into that one tree that is completely unique. Think about the intricacies he's put into your life. The little details, where you live, who you happen to meet, where you go to school, where you go to work, what career path you went into, all the little intricacies that form you. What's your hair color? What's your height? all these different things that go into making you, you, and appreciate the joy in them. These are the little things that keep the darkness at bay. I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll have our communion. God, I want to thank you so much, Lord, that joy is something you truly desire for us, God, that it is not something that we have to go strive for ourselves, or that's something you resist, Lord, that you ask us to be joyful. You expect us to be joyful. In fact, you say it's one of the things we should produce in the world, Lord. How cool is that? That's our job. That's our task, Lord. That when we obey you, it should lead to joy. God, I'm so thankful for that. That when we are in trials, we should be joyful. God, I ask that everyone here would be able to experience a glorious, inexpressible joy with you, God. I ask that each and every one of the people would be able to appreciate the little miracles, the little encouragements, God. I thank you for every miracle you're doing right here and right now, God. I ask that we'd be able to set our eyes on what is good, what is honorable, what is loving, and what is worthy of praise. In your name I pray, amen.